We have 39 children who accepted Christ on Easter Sunday with our children's ministry. That was very exciting as well. And and these weren't kids who were just doing it because their other friends were doing it. Pastor Mark was very, very open about saying, if you have never done this before, never done this before, then we want to pray with you. And he had those kids come to a place where he could talk with them all and then getting them prepared. And so as he said, there's another baptism class of these children who are coming through. And we're excited about that. We're excited what God is doing in our midst and uh, seeing 14 people over the course of these last two services being baptized together. So eight this service and six more next service as well. Um, well, as you can see from the bulletin cover, this is the second week where we started this last week, this new series called Family Portrait. Uh, today's the second week of it. God's designed for marriage and for family and for relationships. Uh, and even though we're going to be looking uh, at a scripture passage that was written specifically to first century uh, Christians um, and to first century married people, the principles that we're going to learn here apply really to any relationship all over any time. And so if you're here, you're married, if you are uh, single, if you're dating or somewhere in between all that, or you want to be dating, or you'd like to be married, or you'd like to be single, it doesn't apply to that one, but... Um, these principles, put these principles in place and you won't be single if you're married right now. Let me say it that way. These will apply to anyone and to everyone. And so let me welcome the venue as well as they're listening in to what we're doing here uh, today. And um, we're talking about relational gift giving. And uh, you can see that's at the top of your outline. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Peter chapter 3. You know, as I talk about relational gift giving, I, I got to be honest, most people who know me know that I'm not much of a gift giver, um, and, and I'm not very romantic either. You could ask my wife that. She's probably the only one who will know that, I, I would hope. Um, and, and yet, on, uh, when I was getting ready to propose to her, I decided I was going to do as best I could at this, because this was the only time this was happening in my life, and um, let me see if I can get this right. And so we went out to dinner beforehand, and I was so nervous driving home on that. Guys, do you remember that day where you asked your wife to marry you? That I was, yeah, I was so nervous. Um, even though I thought she would say yes, you just never know. And so when we got back to her house, I, I'd worked it out with her parents for her parents to be gone. And um, I had her go to her room and I set up the room with these different gifts and balloons. And I was giving her all these different gifts and kind of leading up to this uh, proposal that I had for her. Um, and one of the things I did was in the corner of uh, the, the room, I had set up a hidden video camera. Uh, so would you guys like to see a video of my proposal? Okay. Yeah. Um, can I just say this? Whatever clothing we were wearing at the time was fashionable back then. Okay. So let's just leave it at that. All right. All right. But, uh, let's go ahead and, and roll this. It doesn't have any video on it. I'm just going to narrate a little bit. Uh, here were the balloons that were in the family room that I had set up and the gift bags and they were all kind of there as well. Um, here was the ring that I filmed for her before. She's, she's back in her room right now, so I'm setting this all kind of up and, uh, yeah. There's the hidden camera, so I then bring her out here and I, I give her this first gift. It's a picture frame with a bunch of different things. Suspenders, are you looking at my suspenders? Okay. Um, but, uh, uh, so, so she can't open it. So she kind of walks off there and I, yeah, <laughs> ham it up with the camera just a little bit. Okay. 
And uh, now I'm grabbing the ring, and I put it underneath there, and uh, she had to go get a box of Kleenexes, and uh, you will see me wiping my head, because I am so nervous right about this time. Yeah, right there. And, uh, and then the video that I had playing for it comes on, and on it it says, Carrie, will you marry me? And uh, I go down on the one knee, and um, I think she's... Let's say yes. Okay. She said yes, by the way, so if you can't tell, yep, and a little bit of sugar there, and um, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, yes, that was 21 years ago. That I proposed to her, and um, I, I gave her those gifts, you know, kind of even thinking that, great, this is done, right, here you go, right, rings on your finger, but oh no, anybody who's smart in here knows that is not what it is, in fact, you need to continue, continue to give gifts over and over and over again, and not just a ring on the finger kind of gifts, not just, uh, you know, uh, object kind of gifts, but love and affection for one another. And so again, if you have your outline, pull that out. Our community group just went through a study on 1 Peter, and in 1 Peter, there were some valuable, valuable things that were communicated. And so as you're looking for that verse, it's 1 Peter chapter 3. Let me kind of give you a little setup. 1 Peter is written to uh, discourage Christians. Christians are having a difficult time in the first century because the leader Nero is doing some just audacious things against them. And they are tempted to give in. They're tempted to say, this is not worth it. But Peter says, oh, no, 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 no. This is worth it. Be holy as God has chosen you. You are a people chosen by God. Follow him all the days of your life. And now in chapter 3, he addresses the wives and the husbands. And he talks about four great gifts, two gifts that husbands give to their wives, two gifts that wives give to their husbands. And the first he addresses is to the ladies, to the women. And here's what he says. Wives, here's what you need to give to your husband. Give them the gift of respect. Give them the gift of respect. Don't put him down. Respect. Respect him in all that you do. But the way that he says it can kind of be hard for us to swallow in 21st century living. In fact, let me read the verse. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Whoa, that's some hard language. In fact, uh, NIV, I think NIV has a little bit different. What does it say in the NIV? Be what? Submissive. There's a hard word to say, huh? Let me read. Wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if they do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, That word is difficult in the 21st century, and yet it it, it only is if we think of it as the way many times we we think in 21st century, thinking of of maybe like a husband who like comes home after work, and he's got this barbarian kind of mindset, and he sits in his easy chair, propped his legs up, you know, gets his remote, says, woman, you know, give me a beer, you know, that kind of mentality. Um, You know, that's not what we're talking about here. 
Okay, that is not at all what we're talking about here. Peter uses these words likewise, or in the NIV it says in the same way, because he has just talked about how Christians who are citizens in this world need to follow and submit to the government authorities that are in place. And you can see that it's in verses uh, 13 through the end of verse 25. He talks about uh, how citizens need to submit to the authorities in place, how slaves need to fit in and, and, and uh, submit to their masters, because that's what an organized society, uh, what was functional for a society to have to go through. That there's a level of understanding. You have to follow your leaders. Uh, slaves follow your masters. And now he talks about with husbands and wives. Within that relationship, there's an order to that as well. Now, let me just back off for just a second here because um, I'm not planning, I was not planning to talk about verses 13 through 25, but in there it addresses how we need to follow our government authorities because God has put people into power. Roman talks about this, the book of Romans. And this is a very difficult one, I know, for all of us who are Christians to begin to follow or to think about following with just the events that happened this week. With the Obama administration coming out and talking about the transgender issue and how that's going to be now mandated throughout um, schools and uh, talking about how um, that uh, in all and every public school district, every transgender students will be allowed to use bathrooms that match their gender identity. Um, And I know this is a hot button for many, many people. If you think about it, though, you have to say, what kind of a ludicrous law is that? Because now it's allowing 0.3%. And let me just be honest about this. 0.3% of students and teachers have identified themselves as being transgender. That's not 3%, folks. That is 0.3%. And so now what has happened is the other 99.7% now are being discriminated against. Now are feeling as though, oh my goodness, how how are we going to be comfortable in school? In fact, let me read it. The administration claims that they want to, quote, ensure that every student is comfortable at their school. Well, unfortunately, they have just put the 0.3% as being now comfortable, which I don't even think they're very comfortable. And you have the 99.7% who are very uncomfortable if this continues to go on this way. There's an agenda here, and we have to be careful of this. As Christians, we don't want just to disavow our leaders and our authorities. We want to respect them in what they do. But eventually, there becomes a place where we say, God, what are you telling me to do here? Because even in the New Testament, where we see that Peter Peter here and Paul in other places is saying, follow your, your authorities, they're put into place by God, ultimately, we are responsible to Christ himself. And there were times when the people had to choose, I follow Christ, not Caesar. And that was not very popular in that day and age. And so what, honestly, we need to be praying for is that we find some other solution than have to say that boys and girls can just choose which way they want to go to the bathroom. And there are other options in here. There are places that there could be different facilities that are used and things like this. But to have a sweeping mandate through here that comes in and says it this way is very, very uncomfortable. I know that. Some of you are school teachers. We've talked about some of this as well. We're praying for you. We are praying for our country. Because this, this is a strange, strange law and a strange, strange day that we live in today. Let me just say this, though. We have a Christian school here at First Baptist. And Principal Blair is a fantastic, Stephanie Blair, a fantastic principal, that we don't have to follow those rules. 
And I know the government funding is kind of being held over public schools and their heads about they have to do this, but we follow God's word, not a rogue government law that's in place. And so even for you as a family to pray about that, if you have children who are uh, eighth grade on down, we have a place where they can learn and know God's word and be respectful of their authorities um, and understand how God has designed us and made us, not how people just want to go on the whim of what they choose to be identified with. And so just be praying about that and what you need to do and what steps you need to take in your public schools as well as possibly being educating them in a private school if that's what you so choose. Peter comes in here and he says, okay, now, as I've set this up, yes, we, we need to respect the position of what people hold, even if we don't respect their, their, their views on some things. Respect that position. Slaves, respect your masters. Now he comes in and says, okay, wives, you need to also be respectful of your husband, submissive to them. And again, this is not talking about some sort of an inferiority kind of complex that men are over the top of women. That, that, that is not at all what Paul is getting at. In fact, if we want to go throughout Scripture, let me explain how much Christianity has actually elevated women throughout the years. Let's start back in the Old Testament. Look at what it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and, what's the word there? Female, he created them. So we have this sense that God created both male and female. Both of them created in God's image. Adam first, yes, was created first. But Eve right alongside and and brought about to the fulfillment of, of, of a relationship that God can have with them. Further on in the Old Testament, you see Judges chapter 4, verse 4, there is a woman by the name of Deborah who is a prophetess and the leader of Israel. And might I even say, she was a pretty good leader as well. Many people don't realize that. You go to Proverbs chapter 31, and you see this woman of noble character. I mean, you see this wife who, who buys food for her family and provides it and buys a field and plants in it and plants vineyards. Uh, I mean, this, this, this is a woman, so to speak, okay, in Proverbs 31. God is highly elevating this person and, and, and what she has done. You go into the New Testament. Matthew chapter 19. Great verses here from Jesus where it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but they're one. Notice it doesn't say the man is one, but the woman is a half of a one. It doesn't say that, does it? It says two shall now become one. So there were two and now one. So, so the sense of inferiority Jesus just kind of wipes this off the map because, I mean, Jesus was very radical in his day. In fact, he elevated the status of women more than probably any other to come to this point in time in history. Virtually every interaction that Jesus had with women ran countercultural to what was going on in the day. Women were allowed to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear what he taught. I mean, women, women, uh, Jesus went to a Samaritan woman, uh, a woman of another race. First of all, she was a woman. Men usually don't approach women. She was a Samaritan woman where Jesus was a Jew. He approaches her in broad daylight to talk about an issue and discuss things with her. That's in John chapter 4, I believe. Unheard of. That Jesus would almost kind of treat her as an equal in this conversation. Even Paul 
Go a little further in the Old, uh, New Testament. Paul, who's often looked down as he puts down women, look what he says in Galatians 3. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. There's no distinction. In Christ, you're joined together. You're one, you're equal. And then go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4. Here's a radical verse. It says, For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but her husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. In other words, don't deny yourself of the intimacy and the relationship that you can have together, except it says in that passage, except to pray together. Don't be tempted by being apart often. You, you, you share one another. And so these verses kind of bring up this place of saying, you know, these women, they're not property. In first century, Christi- in first century living, where Christianity came into, into play, they were, uh, women were treated as property, as chattel, so to speak. In fact, 300 years before Jesus was even born, Plato, in his writing, The Republic, he required, uh, mandated all women over the age of 40 to have abortions if they were pregnant. And so in Peter's culture, men could even divorce their wives for any reason at all. I mean, you burnt the bread, I can divorce you. You put too much salt in the food, I can divorce you. If you broke up with a bad hairdo, I can divorce you. They did. They could do it on, on, on just a whim. Until it's, it's into this culture that Christianity comes and, and some would even say perhaps it spread too quickly because women became elevated, the status of women became elevated and maybe set kind of some social things on their ear. And so giving you that background, what is Paul saying when now he's saying wives be subject to or be submissive to your husbands? All right, watch this. In this context... He is writing to a number of wives whose husbands are not yet Christians. And so what he is saying here is he's saying, don't take your, you know, your God-given status now of being a human created by God, loved by God, and now almost kind of this, this, this great worth that you now have. Don't take that status and lord it over your husband's head. Don't take it and say, see, now I'm equal to you and, and I'm going to do whatever I want to do. That, that's, Peter was saying, no, 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 that's not where you want to go with this. Instead, he says, win them over to the faith by continuing to be submissive to them. By continuing to respect them. It's kind of like the old saying, when you're abrasive, you're never persuasive. Right? right? Or, or nagging never works. You don't want to go that place with them. Wives, don't do that. In fact, look at where the verse goes. Again, wives, this is verse 1, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and your pure conduct. See what he's saying there? Hey, in fact, can I just speak to the ladies for just a second? All right? Ladies, hear me on this. The male ego can be very fragile. And there are times when you can speak to your husband, speak to the person who you're dating, or speak to the one who, who you're in relationship with, 
And there are times when maybe it's best just to pray for them. And may God's Holy Spirit guide you as you make that decision when to lovingly speak up or when to just lovingly pray for them. Because you can't make your husband into something he's not. Only God can do that. Which is a miracle, right? In fact, I love how Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, said, she said, it's my job to love my husband Billy. It's God's job to make him good. Ladies, love your husband. Know when to step up and say something. Know when to just pray us through it. And so Peter says, win them over without words, with the life that you live, with the purity and the respect that you can give to your husband. Which brings up the next point. And that is, wives, give your husband the gift of inner beauty. Inner beauty. Verses 3 through 5. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. All right, so what's he saying? Let me go back up specifically to verse 3 when we talk about the jewelry. Is he saying that you can't wear any jewelry at all? Is he saying that you're, that you're sinning if you're coming in here to the worship center? No, I, I don't believe that at all. There, there's a greater context that we have to look at, and other Scripture would not back that up. In fact, if you want to go into Scripture throughout the Bible, go to Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. Look what it says. It says, Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. So, so you see that it, it's not the specific jewelry that is being worn here that, that um, uh, Peter is talking about. Here's what he's saying. He's setting the women free from the sex of society that they are in at that time. In the Greco-Roman world, it was, they were obsessed with this sense of, of external beauty. And it was an idealized standard that everybody should be trying to achieve it. And if you didn't have it, then it was like you were a nobody in that society. Can anybody tell me what society um, models a lot of that today? Our society does. Absolutely we do. We're not much different than first century uh, uh, society that Christianity came into. We are a society right now that elevates how you look. I mean, you just go home today, if you're watching TV shows or whatever, you look at the commercials, you don't see people who, you know, by the world standards would be ugly advertising things. You don't see them, maybe they're obese. Um, No, people want to get the slender models, the ones that look really good. I mean, you go out to magazine, you go to a grocery store, you go down the checkout aisle, um, and you see, what do they put? They put those magazines right there so they can just be looking at you and say, hey, look at me, you need to be like me, and let me give you these tips of how you can look like me, right? Is that what they're doing? They got the how-tos, how to have a better hairstyle, how to have a better, you know, complexion, how to have better skin, how to have a better butt, you know, I mean, it's on there. 
You know it. You've seen it, okay? You've read them when you're walking by there. That's what they do. That's what they're saying. Subconsciously or consciously, you're picking up that message. I've got to get noticed. I've got to get noticed in this world. And even when I hit a certain age, then I'm just kind of thrown aside. Then I no longer have it anymore. All right? And, and which is funny because it, it's that way for women, it seems like, and it's not necessarily that way for men. There's a double standard in this. I mean, you see Sean Connery, who is an you know, older gentleman, and he can star with a young movie star. You, you see you know, uh, Harrison Ford or um, uh, George Clooney. I mean, they can be, whoa, okay, all right. Okay. They can be matched up with this gal right here, right? They can be matched up with young movie stars, and we all say, woo, look at them. But you flip it, you turn it around. Have a young, gal, or have a, a, a young man with an older woman, it's like, whoa, okay, that doesn't feel so right, so good. There, there's this double standard that's in place in this. Is it any wonder, I heard this stat a number of years ago, is it any wonder that the suicide rate for married women over 35 years of age is three times higher than that of men of the same age. Three times higher. Middle-aged women are far more depressed because everything our society values in attraction seems to start slipping away as they hit this certain age. And our society says, oh, you don't look as good as you used to. Let me say this. Let me speak right to you. If you are placing your value of your life in the way you look, realize it will not last. It will not last. And so no matter what age you are at, do not place value in how you think you look. Peter says, place it from what's within. That's what matters. That's what makes a difference. And and there's a confidence that comes from that uh, that is unchanging that is unanxious, that it's unintimidated, that allows you to be so much even more attractive to your husbands. In fact, um, there was a movie a number of years ago called The Mirror Has Two Faces. Maybe some of you remember that movie. It's with um, uh, Barbara Streisand. Uh, I believe Bette Midler's in there as well. Barbara Streisand plays the role of kind of the ugly duckling sister. She's never been very attractive, never been very good looking. All of a sudden, she kind of blossoms and blooms. And her older sister's always been the better looking one. And now they sit down together at a dinner. And the older sister says this to the one who's just kind of reached her peak and is starting to take on her beauty. Says, now, now you're going to be just like the rest of us. Up two hours early to make sure everything looks just perfect. Now you're going to be the one walking into a room and wanting every head to turn your way and disappointed when it doesn't. Until one day, she says, until one day you walk into a room and realize you are the only one that nobody is looking at. Nobody cares about. Peter says, wives... Wives, women, the gift of inner beauty is so much more important than that. Develop that inner beauty. 
not the outer. He goes on. And now he says, okay, wives, I've given you some things to think about here. How about husbands? Which, by the way, we had some men in the first service say, hey, I'm so glad to hear about the things that you are telling our wives that they need to do for us. I said, read through the outline. There's more to come. There's stuff for you too. All right? So here it is. Okay? Husbands, these are gifts that you can give to your wives. Number one, the gift of closeness. The gift of closeness. First Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Okay, let, let's, let's break that one apart. An understanding way. In fact, the word live there, circle that in your Bible or on your outline. It's a Greek word. It's actually a compound word that means to really, really dwell with them. To live closely and intimately with them. And it's unfortunate that we have so many people who are growing up now and this generation who's, who's now, you know, becoming married that, that maybe saw their moms and dads, their parents, who went through life just as being roommates. And then when the kids leave home, the husband and the wife said, well, there really isn't very much to hold us together. Why? Because they, they were on parallel tracks, never intersecting, but just kind of living as roommates going along. And husbands, let me kind of touch you on this one because um, there's a saying I came across this last week and it was this. Providing a good living for your wife should never be confused with providing a good life with your wife. In other words... Man, we can just get tracked into, I'm doing this, I'm doing the work, it's helping my life, it's helping my wife, it's helping my family, we're preparing for the future. And you look up and you realize, maybe I was providing for her, but I wasn't living with her. And if that's you today, do everything you can to get back on track. Not just parallel track, but to get on track together. I've had husbands who walk into my office, sit down across from me, Say, I've been married for 25 years, and she just left me this morning. And to have that look in their face of, I don't understand what went wrong. And as you begin to unpack it, you can see the years and years of frustration. The years of not being close, of not living in an understanding way with the spouse. In fact, guys, living in an understanding way means finding out what makes her tick. I love the scene out of the movie uh, Fireproof, where, um, and if you haven't gotten that movie, go rent that movie. It's a great movie, probably about seven, eight, ten years ago, where they're challenging one another in the fire station, and the one mentor kind of looks at the other one who's learning and trying to get his marriage right, and he says, be a PhD of your wife. Be a PhD student of your wife. Not just, you know, getting your high school diploma, not even getting your bachelor's or your master's. Be a PhD student, understanding her on a deeper level. What makes her tick? In fact, let me give you some homework on this. this. This could be kind of revealing. When you go home today, maybe take a piece of paper, fold it in half, or draw a line down, and, and I want you to do this. On one side, write down the three things that you like to do most. And on the other side, write down the three things that you believe your spouse likes to do most. And then compare them. Most experts will say that the women will get two, usually even all three of them that their spouse likes to do. They understand their man a little bit more than that. And even get them in order of the things that they like to do. And the 
women, men, we, we're not very good students of our wives. They, they say usually the man will have one thing, sometimes even zero things on their list that matches up what she likes to do. We have to increase our understanding. So guys, let me just put that out before you. Take time. Take time to date her again. Take time to take her out on those dates to talk, to listen, to encourage you. Uh, I encourage you just to sit before her and say, what, what can I do today that would show you I love you? That would show you I care. See how she answers. I have my list. I don't always do my list. In fact, last time my wife and I were talking about it, we are looking at this, I was saying, see, I got all this down, I got it all down. She looked over at me and she said, why don't we do those things? <laughs> I thought, because I've not been a good husband. I need to do better. Guys, I want to put that challenge before you. Let me give you another thing. Peter says, I also want to encourage you to give her the gift of honor. Give her the gift of honor. 1 Peter 3, 7. Let me read it again. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, ESV says honor. NIV says respect. Some of you have that in there as well. But you're probably all tripping over the words the weaker vessel. What's going on there? Let me explain that in just a few minutes that I have. I don't think that Peter um, is talking anything about moral stamina or strength of character or mental capacity between men and women. What I believe he is addressing is the issue purely of physical strength. That's what he's talking about. Men, you, you know you usually you are the stronger one physically. Which, by the way, okay, physically, yes, I am stronger than my wife. But I could have never, ever had a baby, carried that baby for nine months and popped that thing out like she could do. It just never, ever would happen, right? Yeah, yeah. In fact, what, what do we say around here? If men, if men had to have babies, there'd be no more babies, right? That, that, that's the way it would be. Okay? You women, you, you are strong in so many ways, but I believe that Peter is simply addressing the physical strength area in here, and what he's correcting is this chauvinistic attitude that you can bully your wives around, and, because that's what was taking place here in the first century. He's saying, your, your wife is not your chattel, it's not, it's not your property. They are, see the word there? Heirs. They are fellow Heirs. It's as though they're even co-equals with you in Christ. Look at the verse out of the message. Eugene Peterson translates this well. He says, in the new life of God's grace, you're equals. Treat your wives then as equals so your prayers won't run aground. In other words, guys, if you're having a problem with your prayer life, you need to treat your wife better. That's what Peter's getting at here. Treat her with honor. Treat her with understanding. In fact, look what Paul, we've been reading from Peter, but let me give you Paul's words on this, and, and then I'll end with this. Ephesians 5. Paul says, wives, same thing, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. You see the hierarchy that's going on there? As the church submits to Christ, wives similarly submit to husbands. That's the way it works best. 
Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I can't think of a woman who would not want to follow a man who loves a woman in that way. Who would die for her as Christ died for the church. And so there's this relationship that Paul is addressing, that Peter's addressed, of saying, oh, man, come on now. Let's get this right. And he's talking to both now about this relationship of wives respect your husbands, husbands love your wives, because he's involved in your relationship. Especially if you're a believer, as in what Peter's writing here. If you're believers, women, Christ is now in your relationship. And so the last word that I would just give to you to think about is this. If you're having difficulties in your relationship and you're just feeling he is too stubborn or she's not logical enough or she's not working through, she's too irrational and you're putting things... Look at each other as you're talking and working through issues, but look past each other and see Christ right over her shoulder. See Christ right over his shoulder. And what Jesus would be saying there is, if you can't do it for her, husbands, do it for me. Do it for me. And and wives, if you can't do it for him, then you look over his shoulder and you see Jesus there saying, do this for me. Do this for me. Because this is what I want for you. I want to bless your marriage. I want to bless your relationship. And yes, there'll be ups and yes, there'll be downs. But as you go through this, it's not based upon their emotions and their feelings. It's based upon your relationship with Christ. That you would die for that one, man. You would die for your wife. Wives, that you would respect your man even when he's not making the right calls. You would live in such a way that he would see Christ in you. We'll talk more about this next week. There's a special relationship that God has with us. It's modeled in marriage. We've got to get this one right. And First Baptist, my prayer is that you're not here just for 35 minutes and here teaching the God's Word, but now you will leave and God's Holy Spirit will be working in you and you'll know how this looks in your homes. You'll know how this looks because God's Word reveals it to you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, I, I do pray for our marriages. Lord, I pray for others who are not married but perhaps desire in that relationship one day. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling. I pray for those who are succeeding. I pray for anybody who can hear these words right now that, God, we would be the model of a relationship with you. We, as husbands, would love our wives as wives would love, respect our husbands. God, that our relationship with one another would model that love relationship that you have for us. And so, husbands, let me just, let me just come at you. If today you're not being a godly husband, are you being a godly man? Are you submitting to God what he wants you to do? Wives, same thing. If you're not being a godly wife, are you first of all submitting to God and his rule and authority over your, lives, over your life? And if not, you'll never be the godly woman, the godly wife that he wants you to be. God, may we get this right with you first and foremost. May you be the one that we answer to. May we put our agendas aside. And may we be people who love, who respect, who honor, who bring someone close to us 
and understand them in the way that you would desire for us to understand them. Lord, I, I pray that as we now leave, that your Spirit's the one speaking to us, that your Spirit's the one that helps us now live the life that you've called us to as godly men and women, as godly husbands and wives. For it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.